Station one, Jesus prays in Gethsemane. Luke 22, 39 through 46. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus is praying for his life. In fact, he prays so intently that bloody sweat drips from his face. Anguished prayers rise from Jesus' lips to the Father's heart. Please, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Our journey to the cross begins here. We watch Jesus wrestle with his resolve to obey his Father's will, knowing that it will demand his last breath on a cruel Roman cross. Here in Gethsemane, perhaps more than in any other moment in Christ's life, we see how fully human Jesus was. This holy moment reveals a Savior who understands what it means to be tested, weak, and afraid. Jesus really does understand our human struggles. After all, he faced his own. Let's pray. Lord God, as we begin this journey to the cross, we see Jesus praying in the garden, agonizing, sweat like blood. And all the while, the others slept, the ones he'd asked to pray with him. And so, Lord, it might take a little extra concentration on our part tonight. Help us not to fall asleep in our spirit. Help us to stay alert and awake and engaged with you. Help us to take this road to sacrifice and suffering with you and to worship you and to thank you and to praise you. We open ourselves to this journey of faith. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Station two, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Mark 14, 43 through 46. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. 
Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. In the ancient Middle East, it was not unusual for a man to greet his close friends with a kiss as a sign of love and loyalty. Followers often kiss their master or rabbi as a sign of respect. Judas's kiss was a mean, despicable act of betrayal. Judas, one of the twelve, transforms a kiss of love into an act of hate. That act alone explains why Judas remains one of the most despised men in all of human history. But isn't there a bit of Judas in us all? Haven't we also confessed Jesus as Lord only to quickly turn around and say or do something sinful or selfish? At times we've worshipped Jesus with our words, songs, and prayers, only to reject him with our actions. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we, uh, we're convicted. When we think about Judas, we like to think that he's uh, all alone there. The worst of the worst. We would never do anything like that. And yet we look at our hearts and we look at our lives and we look at our past mistakes, the things we try to hide or, or keep under control, and we realize we're right there with him. And we say the right things and we, we, we kind of utter the words that come from our heart. But words can be so fleeting. Actions speak louder to words. We know that it's deep in our hearts. And, and we desperately want to live what we say. Hmm. To match the actions beyond our words. We think about a kiss. Such a peculiar way that he chose to betray you. I'm reminded that in Scripture, the, the term worship means leaning in. And in the New Testament, it's almost like we're leaning in to kiss you. So as we worship, Lord, as we dare to raise our voices and raise our hands, to engage our hearts and our minds beyond what we see and can feel and to connect to something greater and bigger. We pray in your great mercy that you would forgive us. Forgive us for our acts of betrayal. Forgive us for the times we've led ourselves away and followed our own sinful selfishness. And we dare to respond leaning in, in worship, to kiss you, to glorify you, to lift you up. Dear Lord, let our actions match our words. In Jesus' name. Station 3, Jesus condemned by Sanhedrin. Matthew 26, 62 through 66. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, 
Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand in the coming of the Son of Man, clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Blasphemy. Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. The religious leaders finally found a way to attack Jesus. They were so threatened by him because he messed with their rule-bound, self-righteous, super-religious ways. Very early on, the last days of Jesus, life on earth, the highest level of religious decision makers dragged Jesus into the kangaroo court to face trumped-up charges based on false testimony. We watch as the high priest even violates his own religious code by tearing his garments in a cynical act of religious grandstanding. But Jesus says nothing, not until he has to. Then he devastates his accusers with two powerfully prophetic sentences. You said it, and you haven't seen the last of me. But still, they don't get it. Jesus is the, is the true Messiah these officials are seeking. But for any number of religious regions, they just can't see it. They can't see the Messiah standing right in front of them. Oh, Lord, we can come to church and miss Jesus. We can see the people up front. We can sing a song and pray a prayer and do our church thing and miss you. And we see throughout the New Testament that those who were most religious had the hardest time connecting with you, believing in you, surrendering to you. And Lord, we, we, we know better than that. We know that our faith is not a religion. We know it is a relationship of faith. But I pray that even tonight and every time we come, that you would help us to get our eyes up off of what happens up front and what happens beside us and around us and help us to concentrate on what's happening in us. And may the Messiah touch our lives and call for our love and our loyalty just like you do right now tonight. We love you back, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Station 4, Jesus is denied by Peter. Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. 
Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. Jesus had warned Peter that he would deny his Lord three times over before long. But of course, Peter wasn't having it. No way. He was so sure of himself. Peter was positive that Jesus had overestimated his weakness and disloyalty. But now we all know that it was Peter who had overestimated his courage and underestimated his weakness. Once the rooster crowed for the third time, Peter knew it too. His bravado is all gone, dashed to pieces. Now Peter finally knew the truth about himself. He was not nearly as noble nor as loyal as he once thought he was, which of course is the truth about us too. How many times do we do what Peter did? We overestimate our spiritual strength and underestimate our human weakness. That is certainly something we've all done at times, isn't it? Pray with me. Yeah, we've all done it. We've all gone to you and want our way and would love to have you work things out according to our ideas. How many times have we entered into a conversation just waiting to give our input, not even listening to what the other has to say? How many times have I entered into a conversation with you doing the exact same thing. Not listening. Overestimating my courage, my skills, my abilities. And underestimating my weakness. Let us not do that today. Let us dare to focus on our humanity and thus dare to focus on our need for you. We need you, great and glorious Lord. We cry out, we need you. Keep us from being overconfident in our own goodness and underconfident in yours. Help us to be faithful Help us to be fruitful and help us to be humble in everything that we do, especially when we come to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Station 5, Jesus is sentenced by Pilate. Luke 23, 13 through 15, 23 through 24. Then Pilate called together the leading priest and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading people. A revolt. I have examined him thoroughly, 
on this point in your presence to find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. Pilate really blew it. He had the perfect chance to do the right thing with Jesus and let him go. But he didn't. From the record, we know that Pilate had a strong sense that Jesus was innocent since he understood Roman law and his wife had told him about her dreadful dream. Still, Pilate caved. He chose to placate the crowd rather than do what he knew was right. Today we might say, placate, pl I'm sorry, today we might say Pilate had the gun. He was the only one with enough authority to sentence Jesus to death or to spare him. Pilate alone made the decision to hand Jesus over to be crucified. No wonder Pilate is the only person other than God, Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Mary, who is mentioned by name in the Apostles' Creed, suffered under Pontius Pilate. The early church never wanted us to forget the name of the man most responsible for the crucifixion, the man who chose popularity over righteousness. Of course, sometimes we do the same thing, don't we? Lord, as we uh, continue on the journey of the cross, it's a, it's a journey that we look into our own hearts. But it's not just where we look. We also look around at the world around us. This world you created is, is all infected with sin. And all fallen. And all in need of your grace and mercy. And we look around and we see how quickly we are pulled from one side to the other, pulled from our attention off you. We choose to follow the crowd, the tempting desires of the world of money, reputation, convenience. We're thankful that following you has nothing to do with finances, nothing to do with reputation, nothing to do with convenience. But give us the strength and the courage to keep walking and keep following. No matter what we hear screaming for our attention, we place our attention solely upon you. And as we continue to journey tonight, we solely face our intention on you. Help us, Lord. Guide us, Lord, as we follow you. In your name. Amen. Station six. Jesus is crowned with thorns. Mark fifteen, sixteen through nineteen. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! 
And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. Highly trained Roman soldiers are about to beat Jesus with a lethal whip to break his body down so that the cross can finish him off. Before they start the brutal beating, they launch a cruel combination of mental and physical torture. First they mock him with a purple robe before cramming that scalp-piercing crown of thorns down on his head. Curses, taunts, jeers, slaps, and spit rain down on Jesus. Before they break his body, they set out to break his will. Surprisingly, Jesus allows it all to happen, not because he can't stop it, but because he chooses not to. Jesus endures the cross, despising its shame. Amazing love, how can it be? Amazing indeed. Lord, I remember even as a child being so upset that they slapped you and spit on you. Uh, I'd heard all about the cross, but it just seemed much more personal when they insulted you. And those thorns. In Genesis, we're told that the curse of the fall of humanity, Adam and Eve's first sin, brought consequences. And one of the consequences was that we would have to till the soil and that things would grow with thorns. If we hadn't sinned, there wouldn't have been any thorns. But we did, and we do. So the thorns are ours. They're mine. I'm sorry. Station 7, Jesus carries his cross. John 19, 16 and 17. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called Place of the Skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. We watch as the long, sad journey to Calvary continues. Now the soldiers force Jesus to carry his own cross, perhaps a hundred pounds of solid wood, all the way to Calvary. In his weakened state, the Savior staggers and struggles under its weight. We know that the weight of that cross includes more than just timber. The Savior now carries the heavy burden of the sins of the whole world, including mine and yours. As Peter wrote, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. With every step Jesus takes, he carries our sins.
you said that uh, greater love has no man and willing to lay down his life for his friends. And it's such a strange way to display love through sacrifice, but I get it. And I'm amazed by it. And there are people that I would gladly give my life for. But there are people that I know I would not die for. And you died for all of us. The worst of the worst. And even me. So we're blown away by your love. We're amazed by your love. Your love that reaches, that accepts, pulls us in, and offers what we don't deserve. We want to respond with the same love. Is that possible? Could you do a miracle in our hearts now? to unlock a love that we desperately want to understand? Could we love you in return? Could we love you with the same selfish love that you gave us? Maybe just a taste. Maybe just a way to begin. Maybe just to initiate. Father, I ask that you would unlock love in my heart toward you that goes beyond anything I've ever known before. And I pray that for each and every person here tonight. That we would love you unashamed, sold out. We thank you for your love. Station 8. Jesus is helped by Simon the Cyrene. Luke 23, 26. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Jesus is fading fast. His head wounds are bleeding. The beating he has taken from that nasty cat of nine tails has bloodied and broken his body. We watch in horror as Christ's bruised and battered body collapses under the full weight of that cruel cross. Seeing their prisoner falter, the guards grab an innocent bystander from the roadside and force him to shoulder the burden. For the remainder of his, this death march, the cross will be carried by a man named Simon visiting from the city of Cyrene in North Africa. Simon was given no choice in the matter. But when it comes to us bearing our own crosses, our Lord invites us to take up that burden. We get a choice. Unlike the reluctant Simon, we are allowed to choose cross or no cross. You decide. Let's stand to pray.
Lord, you tell us in your word to take up our cross and follow you. And so tonight, uh, we face that choice again. It means different things to different people here. But most of the time, we know what it means. That act of sacrifice that we're really not too excited about. That act of service that stretches us and sometimes doesn't feel good or is inconvenient. Loving those people you have placed in our lives that are challenging for us. And yet, you carried the cross for us. And it's interesting that you let Simon help. So, thank you that we get to help. We get to love. We get to serve. We get to give. Help us to feel that way. And it's so interesting, you put a man from Africa in the story. You know, Lord, sometimes we have issues with people who look different or sound different or act different. And you remind us right here in the middle of this journey to the cross that everybody matters. That your love includes the whole world. Help us never to forget it. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, you could be seated. Station 9, Jesus meets the weeping women of Jerusalem, Luke 23, 27 through 31. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on me, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Too often, this tender moment gets overlooked among all the other events that take place along the way of the cross. But Luke didn't miss it. Just as he so often paid particular attention to children, lepers, immigrants, and women, Luke does it again. This time, he points out that there were weeping women, mourning for Jesus who followed him along the way to Calvary, and Jesus spoke to them. Again, Jesus breaks with the social customs of his day. In the ancient Middle East, few men would ever stop to listen to and speak with some weeping women. But Jesus does. Once more before dying, Jesus demonstrates just how much everyone matters to him. Even though it is a hard message that he shares with them, there is no doubt Jesus loves these precious daughters of Jerusalem. Apparently, he loves us all. As we walk with you towards that scandalous hill, let's just stop for a moment. 
and focus on the people who we choose to forget. I thank you for reminding us that everyone matters to you. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And yeah, I'm quick to say, let my family in, let my friends in, let those who agree with me in, let those who look like me in, let those who talk like me in, let those who act like me in. But it's hard. It's hard for me to say, let those people inside your grace and your mercy. And whether it be women or immigrants or those from another race or those that speak another language or those don't, that don't quite have the same intellectual capacity as I think I have or the schooling or the education or the money or the privilege, we're all quick to have one particular people where we would say, yeah, I'm not ready to go there. Thank you that you went there. And I pray that we would have the courage to face whoever we secretly dislike to engage your love through us to even them. Thank you, Lord, for your love let us act out in your love. Station 10, Jesus is crucified. Luke 23, 33 through 38. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified. One on his right, and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened to the cross above him with these words, This, the king of Jews. We watch as the cross is now laid on the ground and the innocent prisoner is lashed to it. Huge sharp spikes are hammered through his hands and feet. Shock waves racked his body as the cross is slowly lifted upright then dropped suddenly into place. Pushing down on his feet and pulling up with his arms, the crucified one, one gasp for one more breath of air. It goes on like this hour after hour. What is happening before us on the cross is cosmic. An eternal transaction is taking place. The innocent one is suffering in our place. We stand in awe. Jesus, we cannot thank you enough 
for the agony you endured for us. The slaughtered Lamb of God, the suffering servant, the wounded warrior, the five bleeding wounds that you bear, that you received on Calvary in my place. We thank you. Three long hours hanging, naked in excruciating pain. I can never say thank you enough for that. Never. But we do. We recognize your suffering and your pain and the agony. And we say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Lord Jesus. Amen. Station 11. Jesus promises paradise to the penitent thief. Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. There are three crosses on Calvary's hill that day. The one in the middle bears the innocent Son of God, while those on either side hold common criminals, condemned by their own wrongdoing. We listen in as one condemned criminal taunts Jesus with his dying breath, but surprisingly, the other defends him. Then, to our amazement, this crucified crook simply asks the Lord to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. Not much of a sinner's prayer now, is it? Barely a gasp of hope, but it is enough for Jesus. Sure, you can come with me today to paradise, Jesus says. What an amazing promise to a desperate criminal with only a few hours left of life in him. This wreck of a man who has no time to pay Jesus back or to live a life of noble service as restitution for his crimes gets the promise of paradise just because he asked in faith. Wow. Forgiveness. Just for the asking. Aren't you glad the crook got in? I mean, isn't that just such a cool part of this story? Do you know somebody that seems far from God? Would you pray for them that maybe somehow they will have a moment when they suddenly open up to God. You never know. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Lord, you know all of us here tonight know somebody that 
is maybe the least likely person to ever come to know you. But this story from your word, what you did on the cross that day, reminds us tonight that nobody is too far gone. Not even us. So, Lord, give us the faith to keep praying, to keep reaching, to keep trying, to keep loving. In your name, amen. Station 12, Jesus cares for his mother Mary. John 19, 25 through 27. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his house. Now Jesus speaks lovingly to his mother Mary. In these holy moments, we watch as a faithful son takes care of family business. Mom, here's your new son. And John, my friend, here's your new mom. Take care of her for me. How thoughtful and tender a moment this is. Jesus makes sure that the mother who nursed and nurtured him and now has stayed near the cross when virtually everyone else has gone will be properly cared for. Jesus says, I'm not leaving you alone, mother. I am passing your care on to John. He will make sure you're okay. Apparently, in Christ's kingdom, family includes more than just blood relatives. It includes other Christ followers who care for one another. Let's pray again. But before you close your eyes, don't. <laughs> Keep them open. In fact, look around. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for the family that you have blessed us with. Our brothers, our sisters, our children, our spiritual moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles. We are family. And as the family grows, we are eager to invite other people in. Mm -hmm. But let us not forget the duty to bear one another's burdens. So as we look around, as we smile, as we lock eyes with our family, let us remember that we care for one another. That we love one another. That we bear one another's burdens. That we pray for one another. Why? Because we're family. Thank you, Lord. In your name.
Station 13, Jesus dies. Luke 23, 44 through 47. By this time it was noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust your spirit, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. It has been almost six hours since the beatings began. Once Jesus' body was nailed to the cross, another four hours passed. Jesus has been hanging there in the searing afternoon sun long enough for the cross to do its horrific work. His hour has come. The suffering Savior has no strength left, none. His legs and arms are now useless, leaving no way for Jesus to catch even one more breath. With one last gasp, he tells his father he is coming home. Jesus gasps and breathes his last. His head drops to his chest. His life is gone. Lord, in this quiet moment, we remember you. In a few moments, Lord, we will come to this, your table, and we will take the bread, your body broken for us, Dip it in the cup, your blood shed for us and for many for the remission of sins. And by eating the bread dipped in the blood, we receive your most precious body and blood. We do not come to this, your table, trusting in our own goodness, but we trust in your great and many mercies and your boundless grace. We think of all 13 stations we have walked through together tonight. Perhaps one of them in particular has touched us. But we thank you, Lord, for all of them, for the completeness of your act of sacrifice. You didn't forget anything. You didn't leave anything out. You didn't leave any of us out. And we are forever grateful. So, Lord, make these next few moments holy moments. We lean into them. We lean into you. May our faith be strengthened. May our courage be Strengthened, may our 
walk with you, be more diligent, passionate, alive than ever before. So meet us here in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to serve those who are going to help us serve, and then we will serve you. So in a moment, I'll open the table and we'll sing and you can come. Just pray quietly while we prepare. close our service. I don't know about you, but I always like to end on a high note, you know. I mean, Easter's coming, and we're not going to do it. I mean, humanly, I'd love to do it, but I don't think that's the right thing to do tonight. Because sometimes you have to live with it. Uh, Anybody going through something that you're just going to have to live with? You know, a medical deal, a family deal, an inner deal, and and it doesn't just go away. Even though God is good, right? Even though you're forgiven. And the cross is a reminder of the suffering and sin of the world. And sometimes I just need to let that soak in. So Pastor Shane is going to read our last reading, and we're going to have a final prayer. And then we'll be dismissed. Station 14. Jesus' body is laid in the tomb. Luke chapter 23, verses 53 through 56. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, and he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea. He was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And he took the body down from the cross, wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of a rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women of Galilee followed and saw the tomb where the body was placed. We watch breathlessly as they take Jesus' lifeless body down and lay it in a borrowed tomb. He is gone. The Sabbath is fast approaching, so they have to hurry. It's just a matter of moments. They take the limp lifeless body of Jesus and wrap it in linen cloths. There's no time left for them to complete the typical meticulous embalming process. Just a few spices will have to do. They'll come back on the first day of the early Sunday morning, first day of the week, in order to finish the job. As far as they can tell, He's not going anywhere.
thank you, Lord, that they were wrong. It's Friday and Sunday's coming. But, Lord, we don't want to get there before it's time, before Friday has done its work. Uh, we know that Good Friday's work is already completed, but this Friday has a work to do in us, in me. And so, Lord, whatever it is you want to uh, let play again and again in my heart tonight, maybe I'm ready to go to sleep. Something from this hour and 15 minutes will play back. And your spirit will say something eternally significant. And so, Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the sacrifice. We know that because you died, we can die to sin and self. And we know that on the horizon is the hope of new life that by faith in you we have received. So we go tonight with hope in our hearts because of Jesus our Lord. We love you. We never want to get over you. We pray it all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good night.